Our Lord finally arrived on Calvary's peak after his long, torturous journey with the cross. But this is truly only the beginning. The merciless soldiers immediately grab Christ. They rip his garments from him, tearing open his wounds from the scourging again and exposing him to the people. They drag our Savior and throw him upon the cross. And Jesus, exhausted and troubling with pain as he is, he willingly lays himself down upon the wood. Of his own accord, he stretches out his arms to be fastened to the wood. At the same time, our Lord offers himself to the soldiers for his execution he offers himself to God the Father for love of us. To consummate this offering, he meekly holds his arms over the holes prepared in the cross, as the executioners loom over him holding iron nails and a hammer. These nails are about nine inches long, and about as thick as a man's finger. The point of the nail is placed in the hand of Jesus, and then the hammer swings down, driving the nail through the flesh and bone into the wood. It is almost unimaginable for us to think of holding our hand out seeing a nail nine inches long placed in it, and then watching meekly and patiently while a hammer drives that piece of metal through our flesh. But our Lord did this not just once, but thrice. The soldiers move to the second, and finally the third, for his feet, repeating the process. Again and again, the hammer pounded on the nails until they were driven clear through the hands and feet and through the wood. For some time, these hammer blows resound in the air while groans and sobs are heard from the followers of Christ and cries of exultation come from the scribes and the Pharisees. Finally, our Lord is fixed to the cross, and a soldier attaches Pilate's inscription to it, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. Centuries before, King David foresaw all of this, he spoke in prophecy in Christ's name, saying, They have dug my hands and my feet. They have numbered all my bones. It is about noon when the cross is raised, and at that moment, the peal of trumpets sound in Jerusalem. These silver trumpets call the people to prepare for the afternoon sacrifice of the Paschal Lamb at three o'clock. While here, 
is the true Lamb of God, foretold from the world's foundations and prefigured exactly by these same prophecies and temple services the people are practicing. To raise the cross, the executioners throw ropes over the crosspiece, and while two others pull on them, the other four lift up the cross with its victim nailed to it. As the figure of the Lord appears raised on high, again, cries of joy, exultation, and mockery rise from the great crowd on all sides. The soldiers direct the foot of the cross towards a hole prepared in the ground into which it falls with a frightful shock. The body of the suffering Lord with his whole weight comes down on the wounds in his hands and feet, tearing anew the flesh and tendons, lacerating the sinews and cords. His muscles quiver with terrific agony. The drooping head is lifted up, but he finds a cross behind him. And thus his head strikes against the wood, driving the thorns ever deeper into his flesh. His most precious blood flows down from his wounds like the red wine which flows from crushed grapes. Thus Christ was raised up as he had foretold. And I, if I be lifted from the earth, will draw all things to myself. Soon after, the crosses of the two thieves are erected as well, fulfilling another prophecy. He was reputed with the wicked. On one side is Dismas, who was a young man about the age of Christ, while on the other was Gesmus, who is an old and hardened criminal. And thus, the stage is now set for the redemption of the world. And Jesus, the victim, the priest, the Savior, he speaks several times from his altar of sacrifice. He who is innocent and suffers as a criminal, he has no words of condemnation on the cross. Instead, he gives only touching words of prayer, of comfort and consolation. His mind is not upon his own suffering, but as always throughout the Passion, he dwells upon those around him and upon the souls of sinners. Our Savior's first words from the cross while hanging from gaping wounds in his hands and feet, he first says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Jesus Christ excuses his torturers, praying that they be forgiven, that they find grace, that they be saved. 
Soon after, Gesmus, the bad thief, blasphemes Christ, insulting him, and the good thief, Dismas, defends him. Dismas says, Hast thou no fear of, of God? We died justly, Gesmus, for we receive punishment due to our evil deeds. But this one, this one has done no evil. Dismas then implores Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. Our Savior takes pity upon this poor sinner, and he tells the good thief the most awesome promise possible. This day thou shalt be with me in paradise. For this one confession of sin and prayer for mercy with contrition, our Lord returns him a promise of salvation. But redemption for all is still to be won. Christ must still suffer more, and thus time passes. And from his altar of sacrifice, Jesus complains, I thirst. Anytime a person suffers great blood loss, they will experience a burning thirst. But this physical longing for water was not what our Lord was complaining of. Instead, he complained of his thirst for souls, for someone to see his sufferings, read his love for them, and make a return of that love to him. He prays thus with infinite longing for the redemption of souls. Finally, the third hour is past. The time chosen from all eternity has arrived. Jesus Christ says, it is finished. Then turning his face to his eternal Father in heaven, says, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. Only by his choice, at the moment that he wished, did death dare approach him. Exhausted and constricted by the crucifixion as he was, he shocked those bystanders around him, especially his executioners, when our Lord, having cried out with a loud voice, gave up the ghost. Hanging on the cross, his chest would have been compressed and been unable to breathe. And yet he cried out with a loud voice, right at the moment of death, when he would have been so exhausted. At last, the sacrifice was accomplished. The victory was won for us. 
even amidst the appearance of black defeat and death. Behold our loving Savior on the cross, my dear faithful. See him so filled with compassion, so merciful, so tender to us. He chose this death, all the pains and tortures that he went through with it, that we might live. It is as if from the throne of his cross, he reaches out to us even here and now, thirsting for our love and our salvation. In fact, there is a certain crucifix in Germany that demonstrates this. Instead of being nailed to the cross, the arms of Christ are stretched forward out in front of him as if he were embracing someone. Yet this is not how the crucifix was originally made. Years ago, a man had forced his way into that church to steal a golden crown from the head of that crucified statue. As this man was in the very act of committing his sacrilege, the arms of the Redeemer loosened from the beams of the cross, and they reached out and they wrapped themselves around the thief. The image of our crucified Lord held the thief firmly in his arms. And so the man was clasped to the sacred heart in a loving embrace. The next morning, the people discovered the sacrilegious intruder tightly held in the Savior's arms. They drew near to see what was going on and they found the thief's face wet with tears. He was filled with remorse. This sinner's heart had been profoundly touched that Christ would work this miracle not to save a golden crown for himself, but to save him, the thief, a sinner from committing a new outrage against his most sacred heart. The depth of the love of the sacred heart is truly beyond comprehension. He reaches out to embrace our souls with his grace, begging and pleading always that we be better and not wound his most sacred heart by new sins. St. Louis de Montfort tried to convey this love for sinners in writing these words as if they came from Christ. Come all ye to me. It is I, do not fear. Why are you afraid? I am like unto you. I love you. Do you fear me because you are sinners? But it is sinners I am seeking. I am the friend of sinners. 
Or is it because through your own fault you have strayed from the fold? But I am the good shepherd searching for my lost sheep. Is it because you are weighed down by your sins, covered with filth and burdened with sadness? But that is precisely a reason for coming to me because I will refresh and comfort you. This writing of St. Louis de Montfort, my dear friends, are not empty words. For our Savior has given us a tremendous means of forgiveness. He gave us the sacrament of confession. As long as a person has true contrition for their sins, is firmly resolved not to wound our Lord anymore, and confesses their sins to a priest, those same offenses, they are forgiven without question. How can we ever doubt the mercy of Christ? See in his cross, see his love for you, and know his arms are outstretched to embrace you again and draw you near to his most sacred heart. And the priest in the confessional is truly just the representative of Christ. It is his joy, the priest's joy and glory, to be the hand of Christ absolving a soul from his sins. Never fear to come to the confessional. Tell all your offenses against God. Unburden your soul. Learn of the peace that Christ promises to those who do love him. And in this way, comfort our suffering Savior. Hanging on his cross on the first Good Friday, Jesus Christ looked to the day when you confess your sins each and every time. He reaches out to embrace you far in the future and to hold you close to his most sacred heart that he might cleanse your soul by washing it clean with his most precious blood.